everybody, and happy Saturday. I am a couple marriage and family therapists and sports family therapist, Dr. Lauren Pitts. Yes, my screen is frozen. I've been having technical difficulties for the past two days, not even sure what the heck is going on with my Zoom, but we're going to get this troubleshooting figured out. So don't think that I'm doing a disappearing act because periodically, like right now, I'm going to turn my camera off because it gets on my nerves seeing myself frozen. I'm just going to sit here and look at my personal Santa Claus. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, everybody. Well, personal Santa Claus, y'all. And welcome to Wild Card Weekend. Yes. The NFL playoffs start today. Yes, got yes, a yes. great show lineup for everybody. How you doing? Well, I see Zoom is hating on you this morning, but. Um, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come in back and forth so that they can see my, my Dallas Cowboys blue, white, and silver that you told me to take off. Look at my nails we today, don't, Ronnie. We don't, Look. We don't. Let's see, Ronnie, it froze it, so you can see them. Would, it would freeze. Wouldn't it? <laughs> okay. it would freeze on the nails. You know what? Ladies and gentlemen, I've already told her that she should probably take off Tuesday. <laughs> Because Monday night is not going to go how she wants it to. Uh, my, my old Micah, 11 from heaven, is not going to save them this week, this Monday. Um, Dak is going to Dak on Monday. All right. He's going to dink and Dak. He's going to throw it. And we know he's going to throw one interception. We, we no know love, that for sure. No love. No love. We mm, know, we know mm, that for sure. Mm. And honestly, after because, you know, Mercury is not in retrograde just yet. But the world has been a little off, and typically, it really has. After the, typically after the Cowboys lose, balance is kind of restored amongst the you know the Earth's axes and everything. They kind of tilt back the right way and whatnot. It's so disrespectful. You know, I didn't write it, but anyways, look, um, we got a great show lined up for you all today. We know Doctor Pitts is having some technical difficulties, but we're gonna make it do what to do. Isn't that what sports is all about? That's, That's right. Look, I'm going to do a disappearing act. Look, week. she's back. If there's, if there's one thing to learn in sports is that no matter how much you game plan, no matter how much you practice, there will always be something that comes up that you're not, mm -hmm. that you don't know about, that you ain't yeah. seen before, and you have yeah. to adjust. Absolutely. Right? So, you know, today's uh, show we have lined up is mm -hmm. the detriment of unrealistic expectations. Whew. Boy. Shut you know, up, Ronnie. <laughs> shut up. My grandma said, stop telling people shut up. That's not nice. Shut up, Ronnie. You know, when no, we think shut about, up. When we, when we think about expectations, you know, for some people, expectations trigger motivation and discipline, while sometimes for others, you know, expectations can generate tension, anxiety, and pressure. You know, these are the very things that interfere with performance and cause athletes to feel that they are constantly falling short. When mm -hmm. an athlete with unrealistic expectations experiences adversity, they become devastated and feel like a failure at times. And, you know, teams mm -hmm. as well. You know, yeah. sometimes when a team shocks everybody and, you know, they have a good season that following season, when there's actually some realistic expectations, a lot of times people will fold under those expectations. But why? Mm -hmm. What is it about mm -hmm. expectations that some people rise to the occasion and mm -hmm. some people just fall short, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about, you know, what are what does it mean to have an unrealistic expectation and how can you set out to have realistic expectations for not only you, your team, mm -hmm. your personal life, your professional life, and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. um, we got a lot of things to talk about with that and everything. Also, you know, um, I don't know if Dr. Pitts has a mental health tip of the week. Do you have one uh, this week? 
I don't have a mental health tip because again, it's one of those things that's going to come up while we're talking, but I did have a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. I know you're probably going to touch on one. I'm so excited. I cried when, when it came, when the announcement came out that DeMar was released from the hospital. So yeah. yay, yes, prayer yes. works, prayer works, prayer works, Absolutely. but we got to keep praying. We got to keep praying yes. and just cover him and his family and the, the team, um, you know, they're going to let him finish doing his rehabilitation work from home, working with the team doctors and the hospital doctors. So thank God for Jesus that he is on the mend and just making miraculous strides. So, 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 so incredibly happy to hear about that. The other thing that I did want to do, Ronnie, and I mentioned it briefly to you before the show is I just wanted to, to take a pause and to send our condolences and deepest sympathy to the Del Rossi and Manello families. Um, a, uh, a childhood friend of mine um, mm. passed away yesterday, lost her battle to cancer. Oh, um, so a beautiful soul. And it, and it was, it's interesting. It was an interesting evolution because when we were younger, younger, we didn't get along. We didn't get along and we ended up being good friends and had lost touch in recent years, but would communicate with each other through Facebook from time to time. And it wasn't that long ago that she had just celebrated an anniversary and her um, her husband had celebrated a birthday and was able to reach out and show some love on her that way. Um, she leaves behind two beautiful twin boys and um, a husband and a, an immediate extended family and a boatload, a boatload of friends that just loved her so dearly. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful person and had just really evolved in to greatness. She was a scholar athlete within uh, the context of she was a cheerleader and a darn good cheerleader and a, and a beautiful one too. Smart as a whip, graduated from the University of Delaware, went on to do some extraordinary things in her life in the investment industry. And if there was ever a person, Ronnie, that achieved every single solitary goal that she ever set for herself, it was Denise Del Rossi Manello. So I just wanted to take a moment to just, again, share our deepest condolences and sympathy to her immediate and extended family and all those that um, were very, very close to her and near and dear to her heart. May she rest in peace and may her legacy um, continue to live on through her children, her husband, her sister, her her nephew, and, and just all of those that loved her so dearly. She truly was a beautiful soul. Um, Georgia Bulldogs walked the dog. Did you watch that they scrimmage walked. on Monday? I did. <laughs> Look, did you call it a, scr a scrimmage to run? Honey, <laughs> that is so disrespectful. <laughs> Did I you did. watch that scrimmage on Monday? That preseason? I did. Game I did. Monday? And I look, and, I, and you know how I am, right? I'm a, I'm, I was intrigued, right? So I watched it. And I was like, oh, this is just disrespectful. Good. And I kept turning it. And then I would turn it back, hoping that something happens. And so I was like, well, are they going to realize that they're in the net? Like, it was just heartbreaking to watch. And I'm like, oh, and gee, like, this is, this is just like you, this is bad. The one, this the one bad, thing about Ronnie. the one thing about football is you just pray you are never on the receiving end mm -mm. of a good old thorough butt whooping. And like that. Day, see, it's funny because I had turned it off at halftime when they got to thirty-eight-seven. I turned it off, yeah. and I was kind of like you. 
I checked back like maybe 45 minutes later. I was because all the all the commentators kept on saying is, well, you know, TCU is the second half team. TCU is the second half team. And I'm just like, unless y'all unless y'all think um, Tom Brady coming out to to play for TCU. (laughs) So when I looked back about 45 minutes later and saw it was 52 to seven, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So this uh yeah. this really got terrible. Yeah, but, it was ugly. Um, I will say this because you know Georgia right now the last two years obviously has been you know the 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 program in the mm-hmm. country that everybody's looking up to. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if anybody watched the halftime show of the national championship when um Nick Saban was on there. But if I'm an Alabama player right now. I would be terrified of winter workouts in spring ball this year. Oh my God. He about to bring he it. Is, he is going to wild out on them all off. I want you to know this much. I promise you, all Alabama football players are going to hear this offseason is about mm. how bad they are and how good everybody thinks Georgia is. Oh, mm. and for those who don't know, Alabama has just for this recruiting class. Alabama mm-hmm. has nine of the top 30 players signed wow. to their recruiting class for this coming season. Nine wow, of the nine? top 30. Nine wow. of the top 30. Not the top 300, the top 30. What, the rest of them going to Colorado? <laughs> and what Coach Prime said, I ain't hard to find. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> here I am. Right here in the middle hey, of the right hey, look, now. I, I can tell you this much, though. Coach Prime don't want no smoke with the SEC right now. Wow. Maybe maybe next season. Mm-hmm. Maybe next season. He need to get his footing. Some, when he gets some of them dogs over there, mm-mm. ain't not no yet. way. They're not ready. But, I mean, you know, I think for TCU, I think, you know, it was a valuable lesson. You know, like, mm-hmm. and, and their coach even said it, like, you know, Georgia and them teams like that, they play at a different tier. Like mm-hmm. and and the crazy thing is, you know, this one's even a, this one's even Georgia's best team this year. They just wow. happen to have a lot because a lot of people, if you remember, the middle of the season, Missouri almost gave them an L. Mm-hmm. Kentucky almost gave them an L. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another team that gave them a good run for their money this season too. So, mm-hmm. and Georgia's losing a lot of their um a lot of their players to the draft this year. So mm-hmm. we'll see if they can. Re- I mean, they've had the number two recruiting class. The last mm-hmm. four or five years, so it's not like they're falling off with talent, but, right? Right. Um, well, you know, know what they, they said though too, because they lost several players from last year too, yeah. coming into this year, and they were talking about how clearly it didn't make a difference, <laughs> right? And I think you know they still balled out. It's crazy. It, here's what I don't. Here's what I and, and we see this in sports a lot, and we're talking about expectations today. What I don't like about sports, especially college sports, is. Mm-hmm. Alabama from 2008 until this year mm-hmm. has, I think it's 15 straight seasons of at least 11 wins a season. Wow. They only play 11 regular season games. Wow. And for 15 straight years, they have won at least 11 games a season. Mm-hmm. In That's that span, they have six national titles. Been mm-hmm. to 10 national title games. So literally every other year almost, mm-hmm. they're in a national championship. Is that coaching, so Ronnie? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at least in our at least in our lifetime, 
we'll mm-hmm. never see another run or a coach like Nick Saban. Wow. Here's wow. what I don't like. Until Georgia, whole thing. until Georgia can have 11 straight, uh, 15 straight seasons of 11 mm-hmm. wins, until mm-hmm. Georgia can go to eight more national championships, mm-hmm. win four more of them, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about they've dethroned Alabama or they're the greatest pro they're the greatest program in the country right now. Mm-hmm. You've had a great two-year run. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. Well deserved. Hats mm-hmm. off to you. Mm-hmm. But let's slow our breaks down some. Yeah. Let, yeah. Because the one thing that Alabama has done, and this is and this is I don't think people understand. When you go to Alabama, you are there at the max three years. Mm. Imagine knowing <laughs> as the coach that at least every season or every two years, you will have almost a completely new roster on your field. Yeah. And for 15 straight years, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Wow. I don't think people understand or grasp how great that is. <laughs> like it's it's extra it's extraordinary. It's it's um it's history making, is what it is. I mean, like history making. I'm glad to. I mean, I I would imagine when Miami had their run or when Oklahoma had their run, it was, you know, Mm -hmm. phenomenal to see. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to have been old enough to recognize this run that Coach Saban has done because Mm -hmm. we won't see this again for a very long time. So is that saying that when whenever he retires, do you feel like Alabama will go through some form of restructuring? Oh, yeah. Or because they get they'll fall off a cliff of the talent that tends to to go that direction that they'll still be okay even if they had a mediocre coach. Oh yeah. And see and see here's the other thing that people don't realize either. See last year Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class by a landslide, right? Mhm. See, here's what a lot of people have they didn't broadcast this though. When the transfer portal opened up at the end of the season, mhm. Guess who had the highest number of transfers? Mhm. Texas A&M. That's it, Texas A&M. Texas you want to you know why? Why? Because them boosters reneged on them NIL deals. Oh. So that that was, so are you saying that the NIL stuff was, it, it was like a double-edged sword? Oh, yeah. It, it, for, a, for a lot of programs, it is. Now, mm-hmm. now, now, don't get me wrong for one second. Texas A&M got the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's make that very yeah. clear them texas yeah, yeah. schools if there's one thing they got is money right they're not worried right. about that but i just find it interesting that i think they had 27 players transferred from them program wow that's a lot a lot yes that's a that's lot a lot and then i just saw yesterday where florida this uh high school quarterback that was supposed to be committing to florida on some 13 million dollar nil deal Apparently, either the school or the boosters who had promised that money had reneged, and now he's not going. Oh, shoot. So a lot of these programs, see, I think the NIL, you know, obviously the NIL is for a different conversation and everything, but Mm -hmm. I I do Mm -hmm. think people have to keep that in mind. Like, when you make promises and you Mm -hmm. don't keep those promises and and your school, yeah, can Florida get people to the league? Absolutely. Can Texas A&M get people to the league? Absolutely. But when you promise a certain kid a certain amount of money and they don't get that, but another school right. saying, hey, when one, when one won't, another one will. Right. 
Right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go where they will pay me. Right. Because oh, now I'm in a position to. Now I don't have to get to the pros to be able to take care of my family. Now I can do right. that as a freshman right. in college. And, and a lot of these, a lot so of these many, kids, that's a big deal. That writing uh, for a lot of these kids, that writing is on the wall after your sophomore season. If yeah. you have a legit shot of going to the league, or should I try and get as much NIL money right now as I can? Mm-hmm. And you know whatever happens, like mm-hmm. for a great example, the uh, kid Spencer Rattler who was at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. When he came to Oklahoma, he was the consensus number one draft pick after three years. Like he just had mm-hmm. to get through three years at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We saw he got benched last year for Caleb Williams. He mm-hmm. transferred to University of South Carolina for a one million dollar NIL deal, mm-hmm. and it took him up until the end of the season to really, you know, live up to the hype. Mm-hmm. He's coming back again for for next season. But one of the things that's, you know, to keep in mind is like he's racking up this NIL money. So if his chances at the league necessarily might not work out, hey, he pocketed a couple million while he was in college. Like that's a hell of a start. My husband said, can you explain? <laughs> you know, he text, stay texting me during the show. <laughs> he's so he wants you to explain to the audience what NIL money is. We know that NIL's named image likeness, but what is that? Can you can you? give some insight regarding connection between boosters and the NIL money so that our listeners understand what that means. So basically, so we know for, for, you know, up until this NIL deal became a thing in what, 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. I think it was yeah, it's just been a couple of years. Yep. Yeah. So up until that, we, we know, even though it wasn't, you know, obviously it couldn't be made public, but we know schools were paying for kids to come to school. You know, Mm -hmm. whether the boosters were, you know, donating money to a certain, you know, cause a family member had Uh, an investment (laughs) property that a certain family member was trying to get or, Mm -hmm. you know, mama need a brand new car or grandma need a washer and dryer at the crib. Like, boosters were paying money for these students to come, you know, without people knowing. So basically Mm -hmm. what NIL is, is like, you know, we know that college athletes, specifically football athletes they generate a lot of money for their schools. Yes. No matter the division. Now, granted, obviously the money amount is vastly different from one, two, and three, but Mm -hmm. football normally is the breadwinner at majority of these schools. Mm -hmm. But for up until the last couple of years, for example, in 2019, Alabama made 134 million just off of football. Wow. Just off football, 134 million. Mm -hmm. Out of that 134 million, Less than I think three million went to the football players in the form of scholarships, room and board, a little, I think five or six hundred dollars monthly stipend they got, and that was mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. The school pockets the rest. Mm-hmm. Players could does sign. what with it? Anything and everything, right? Whatever. I mean, you know, they'll give them facilities and stuff like that. But outside of that, you was on your own. You yeah. know, players couldn't get. Players couldn't sign autographs for money. Players couldn't sell their memorabilia for money. Players couldn't do um, magazine opportunities or photo shoot opportunities for money. Basically, if a player wanted to do something for money, they were not allowed to. Mm -hmm. Now they're allowed to. For Mm -hmm. example, um, if you want to be sponsored by a dealership and they give you a car, say, hey, we'll give you this car if you go around and tell people where you got it from. Uh Now players can do that. If a player wants to sign autographs and get paid for it, they can do that now. Mm-hmm. But what we're also seeing is, is that these larger schools, the Floridas, the Texas A&Ms, the Texas, mm-hmm. A&M, now Alabama, because Alabama didn't just get nine of the top 30 players this season for no reason. Right, right. <laughs> Let's right, be right, right. clear. Because <laughs> for people who don't remember, those very same boosters at Alabama, 
paid off Nick Saban's $10 million mortgage back in 2011, 2012. So right. they got money. But what they're right. doing now is they pull this money in a large pool. So they'll get with the boosters and everything and they'll pull this mm-hmm. money in a large pool and they'll be like, hey, we got $30 million over here, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to lower these players. We're going to say, hey, look, you come to our school, we'll give you, you know, X amount of money. And, you know, as long as you perform well and stuff like that, we'll make sure you're good and everything. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these schools, you know, they come through and follow through with that and they help players get, you know, sponsorship deals, whether it's with food places, companies, brand deals and stuff like that. Right. A lot of these schools promise these players this money. And then when the kids get there, if the kid ain't starting, ain't playing, ain't performing, they're mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> we need this money. So, right. you know, um, and actually I have a teammate who's actually a sports agent. We had him on the show in season one. Yeah. Um, and I, I would definitely reach out to him and try and bring him back because now that, you know, NIL has been around for a year and mm-hmm. a half, um, maybe he can probably give us, you know, a better explanation as, you know, some of the pitfalls and some of the other things that are going behind the scenes with the NIL deals. Um, cause he's plugged in with that stuff. Like he, mm-hmm. he's very plugged in with that. Um, but it is something to take in consideration when we see these schools, you know, what schools rise to power, like, you know, mm-hmm. Texas A&M, everybody thought, you know, they were going to have a breakthrough season. I think they went like seven and five or something like that with all that mm-hmm. talent. Right. Mm-hmm. And now all that talent is leaving because it's like, hey, we ain't winning. Y'all ain't give us that money. So what the right. hell am I here for? Right. Right. So, That's you true. know. I think, you know, I think NIL will definitely have an impact on, you know, NCAA. And I think, you know, the mm-hmm. NCAA is trying to move as quickly as they can to try and put mm-hmm. some type of regulations on it mm-hmm. because the transfer portal is wild now. Like, yeah. you know, the amount of kids who like look at Jackson State. <laughs> yeah, it's not as strict as it used to be. Right. It's not. And, and you know, they have it now where like you can transfer and play immediately where you I mean, now, granted. I. The one thing I will say is that we don't hold coaches liable for transferring or leaving a or leaving a program high and dry. Mm-hmm. How many times have we seen a coach, especially during bowl season, you know, mm-hmm. like last year for Notre Dame when Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame and they had that great mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. The moment the LSU job came up, what did he do? Pack sure. his bags and dips. Yeah. Nobody, nobody shook a finger at him and said, oh, he's wrong for telling them kids to come there and be here for three and four years. And then mm-hmm. he dipped. It's business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think what we're seeing now is that people, especially, you know, these coaches don't like the fact that now kids have a little bit more say so in power as to what they can do with their name, image and likeness. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like going to college shouldn't be you surrendering your identity for the sake of the athletic program that you're a part of. You do. You are who you are. It's like I, I said this yesterday to a client, Ronnie, that if. And, and people are like, Dr. Pitts, you said it. Yeah. So, and I'm going to use the metaphor with a job interview, right? You go to a job interview and you go into the job interview. Ooh, ooh pick me, pick me, pick me. I know that I'm, I'm competing against all these 20 people, but I'm the best person for the job. I'm the best person for the job. Ooh, ooh, ooh pick me, pick me, pick me. And call me crazy. But from my perspective, that suggests that the employer has the greater value than you, the candidate does. Mm-hmm. Where in actuality, if people could recognize their own value and realize that they are the asset, 
the company is what it is. The athletic program is what it is because of the players and the coaches too that select to play for that program and to participate in that program. Right. If every and we know that it would never happen, but just for illustration purposes, if if employee and we see it happen though when companies have strikes, right? When employees go on strikes, that mm-hmm. if the employees in this case if the players say you know what we're not playing then what then what like everybody's looking crazy and we saw it during all of the stuff with the flag and colin kaepernick right when teams were sort of bucking the system and saying hey we're not doing this all hell broke loose but at the end of the day the the contributor the athlete the employee whomever you're the asset they, these programs excel and are doing what they are able to do because of your presence. It's that simple. And for those people who don't recognize their value, metaphorically, that's the scabs, right? The folks mm-hmm. that would come in and work regardless of, of what the contractual issues are or not. I think that a big part of it is people have to recognize their value. I want to go ahead and transition. I just wanted to say this real quick before we jump into this topic. I did want to give a shout out to Fisk University um, because their gymnastics team became the first HBCU to compete at the NCAA level. Um, They participated in the Super 16 Gymnastics Invitational in Las Vegas. So congratulations to Fisk. Yeah. Congratulations uh, to Fisk for making their mark and making history um, and showing up at the, the Invitational in Vegas. Way to go, Fist. So good mm. looking there. Ronnie, let's get into this topic so that we can we can bang it out and have some robust discussion around. Right, right. So, you know, our topic today, again, you know, is unrealistic, expe- unrealistic expectations and the detriment of them. You know, so why do we call expectations unrealistic? You know, why, why would any expectations be considered unrealistic? Let me give you an example, right? So let's say, for example, you have a kid, never played football before, and they set out a goal that that first season, they're going to be all American. Mm. That, that can be very considered an unrealistic expectation. Or mm. another example, a team who had a terrible season the year before, let's say they went two and eight or one and nine or something like mm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. And the following season, the coach is selling them on the idea that we can go win the state title this year. Mm-hmm. You ain't got no new players. You ain't really done much on the off season. But we can go. We can go win states. Mm-hmm. That might be a coach selling an unrealistic expectation, right? Mm-hmm. You know. But within sports, we all have expectations. Expectations are important in sports, right? Mm-hmm. Expectations kind of give us that 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 guideline, that goal, that motivation to what we're working for. Now, mm-hmm. for example, in any team sport, the ideal goal and expectation is to win it all, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's the ideal, but then we have to account for reality, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I give you an example. When we were, you know, when I was at Virginia State and everything, right? You know, obviously the, the first, the first meeting of the new season and everything, coach mm-hmm. would lay out all his expectations and goals for the team during the season and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on your coach and depending on, you know, how they break it down and whatnot, obviously the first goal is to win every game. Right. Cool. Then the next goal will be to win the conference championship. Cool. Right. Get into the playoffs, win all your playoff games, mm-hmm. and to win the national title. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, 
being real, and I coach you, I coach used to print out the schedule for you know each regular season game, when conference championship was, when mm-hmm. playoff starts, and when a national championship was, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'll be honest with you, I knew for a fact we won't go into no national championship in Virginia State, right? Okay. Sounded good, felt good in your mm-hmm. head, but in reality, we were just trying to get out the regular season. Mm-hmm. So then, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to ask you, so then, Ronnie, how does one differentiate between setting expectations too high mm-hmm. versus healthy optimism or self-confidence? And, and the reason why I ask it that way is because, especially in sports, stuff can change as we see every single solitary week. Stuff right. can change at the blink of an eye and the tide can shift in your favor. Like, I mean, from a professional standpoint, right? I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that aren't surprised, but when you think about how the analysts and the commentators were dogging the Buccaneers at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the season, because they were just playing. So and they gave all the excuses in the world. You know, Tom's old, he's hurt. He's having personal problems. He missed the first couple of, you know, practices and blah, 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 blah. But here they go. (laughs) <laughs> Here right. they are. And I think, you know, for example, you know, let's look at somebody like Tom Brady's expectations over the years, right? Mm-hmm. When he was drafted, you know, everybody knows drafted 199 of the sixth round and everything. And, you know, the first Super Bowl, that playoffs, he threw more interceptions and touchdowns that playoffs. Their defense mm-hmm. is the reason they beat the Rams. He just mm-hmm. happened to make a couple good passes and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we know that as sometimes you don't necessarily have to have a Hall of Fame quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Right. I.e. 2000 Ravens that definitely did not have a Super Bowl quarterback mm-hmm. before won the Super Bowl because they had a Hall of Fame defense. Mm-hmm. Right. But so low expectations for the Patriots. Then you come back two years later and they play the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they won. They beat the Rams. Then it was the uh, Buccaneers who beat the Raiders. And you come back the following season. The mm-hmm. Patriots beat the um, Panthers. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So he got two and three years. Okay. All right. Might be on to something. Mm-hmm. Following season, they beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That was oh, the one in Jacksonville, right? When Donovan McNabb was the QB. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. So now you have three Super Bowls in four years, right? Mm-hmm. Obvious. And then he didn't have another Super Bowl for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the expectations began to grow tremendously for somebody like Tom Brady and the Patriots, because why Mm -hmm. we have a proven track record of them being great in a, in a five year span winning Mm -hmm. three Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. So each season, now the expectations came well for us, it's Super Bowl a bust, you Mm -hmm. know, let's look at the Lakers, look at the Lakers in the eighties, right? I think in the eighties, they went to eight finals in during that decade, Mm -hmm. one, four of them in the decade, no five, five in the eighties. Yeah, they mm-hmm. won five in the eighties. What is now? Granted, you know, look, the and then in the nineties, the Bulls took over. <laughs> and granted, the Lakers are not, you know, what they once used to be. You know, mm-hmm. we ain't looking too good this season. However, what is the what is the expectations for the Lakers? Is championship mm-hmm. or bust? Right mm-hmm. now, being and being in in all realness, that might be a little unrealistic for them this season because of the roster, how they've played, mm-hmm. and the talent they have on the roster. Mm-hmm. So, you know expectations like that might not be real but you know i think a lot of times we see teams like you remember boise state right yes remember boise state had those you know phenomenal years and everything like Mm -hmm. that 
in the expectations room. See, when nobody expects you to do anything, you can mm-hmm. come under the radar. You can shock mm-hmm. everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that- the Eagles. Kind of like the Eagles a couple years ago in twenty seventeen, right? Yeah, was it? No, that was. Um, you talking about the year they won the Super Bowl? That was 2017. The 2017-2018 season. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of slid into the playoffs. They were a wild card team. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really was checking for the Eagles, and then mm-hmm. boom! Especially when they didn't have Carson Wentz. You know that? Like, oh, mm-hmm. we got Nick Foles. Right. They're gonna be out. Well, remember the Giants did the same thing. What was that? It was either the 2010 or 2012 season. They went in on a wild card at five and twelve. And ran the tables and beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, twice. That game sticks out. I like. I, I, that is one of the most memorable seasons to me in the NFL because I'm like, what the like? That was when the real Eli showed up. <laughs> mm, yeah. Now they used to say you don't know which Eli's gonna show up. That was when the real Eli showed up. Hey, look, and they playoff, hey, playoff Eli was playing them games. Yeah. Playoff Eli was like, look, the regular season, just get me to the playoff. We get to the playoff, yeah. we gonna, we gonna we make some shape. But, you know, when when we think about expectations for athletes and for teams and everything, you know, I think the biggest thing is you have to have an understanding of who you are as an athlete, the team Mm -hmm. you have assembled around you, Mm -hmm. obviously where you play at, who you play Mm -hmm. and stuff like that before you can form any type of expectations. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, I always tell people, you know, when we think about expectations, I I think about plans, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for me. Like my expectation each season was, was a, obviously as a team, you know, I want to win. I want to win and get, you know, mm-hmm. to conference championship. And after that, mm-hmm. however far we get, Hey, let's see what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also had individual expectations too. Like right. for me, one of my expectations was, is I should never ride the bench ever, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but what did that look like? What, what did that expectation of me not riding the bench look like? Well, mm-hmm. that meant I had to figure out a specific workout regimen, a specific mm-hmm. diet regimen, a specific, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, health and training regimen to make sure I stayed healthy and whatnot. Because mm-hmm. me having the expectation of, well, I should just start just because, no, that's, it don't that's, that's, that's no, who, why, why should you start? What, right. what about you makes me, what about you makes me think you should start just because you say it, right? right. And I right. think a lot of times people, when we think about expectations, I think about plans because I can tell you about a plan. Like, let's say, Dr. Pitch, you were like, well, Ronnie, I want to be a millionaire, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You want to be a millionaire? Mm-hmm. I can tell you how to be a millionaire. I can mm-hmm. find you a plan, a legit realistic plan, not one of these Instagram scamming plans or whatnot, but a mm-hmm. real plan on how mm-hmm. to make a million dollars. At some point or not, it's not the plan that we question. Mm-hmm. We question That's whether or not we can see the plan through. Yeah, the execution of it. And, uh, and I think a lot of times when people are not real with themselves, when people are not honest with themselves about what they're capable of doing, they set an expectation out with no type of plan and no type mm-hmm. of trust in the plan to see it through. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eric is texting a- me, Ronnie. He said, he, said, you know, he said that he was very confident in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> that his Eagles, his Eagles were going to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. <laughs> I, and I bet, I bet his confidence is through the roof this off season. Because, oh, disrespectful. I bet, I bet, his, <laughs> so com- I bet his confidence. Is, I bet his confidence is sky high. Look, he got new Eagle stuff for Christmas. Eagle stuff all over the house. 
That is I got, I got the 49ers. <laughs> I got the 49ers coming out of the NFC, but you know, I don't want to ruffle no feathers or anything. You know, no e no Eagles feathers. I don't want to ruffle no Eagles feathers, but you don't want the Eagles feathers to be to be sensed. Hey, look, I, look, as, as much as I despise Cowboys fans, Eagles fans are the most fair weather fans I've ever seen in my life. Like when the Eagles are on top, well, Eagles fans flock together. When they ain't on top, they form that first that victory formation. They always need to get the goose, the one goose that's in the front. What do birds do? What do birds do when they get cold? They fly down south for the summer for, for yeah. the warmth. Yeah. Let the Eagles record have been the opposite this year. You'd have seen a whole bunch of Eagles fans down south. <laughs> it's sort of crazy. Hey, look, I wanna I wanna take a second because I, I had mentioned to you before the show that there were I had some specific questions for you. Um I I wanna, as as always, I wanna, but I wanna tie something together first. I want to make sure that people understand the clinical perspective of this whole relationship between expectations and um performance and, and what have you. As Ronnie, what a lot of people don't realize is that. You know, we talk about expectations too high, too low, whatever the case may be, but our, our clinical research clearly shows us that setting expectations too high is a direct route to stress and depression. And a lot of people don't mm-hmm. realize that, right? There is, a, there is evidence that clearly shows a connection between setting expectations too high and mental health issues. So when we think about, you know, this word expectations, it's, it's our prediction of how we want things to go. And Mm -hmm. in that context, from an athletic perspective, right? Well, that's harmless. You said it a few minutes ago, you know what, as an athlete, your job is to have expectations. So on one hand, it's, it's harmless. It's something that you absolutely positively have to have, but here's the flip side of that coin, right? What if, and you and I, we, we talk and laugh and clown and go back and forth about this all the time, in that magic word that you said, you have to have that balance, right? You have to have realistic expectations because mm-hmm. the flip side of the coin is if you set them too low, that can set you up to underachieve, mm-hmm. not just in your athletic performance, but truth be told, in life, like we hear horror stories all the time about athletes showing up late to practice, athletes, mm-hmm. you know, missing flights and just all, t- you know, just sort of acting all willy nilly during the game and acting like, did y'all remember that you had a game? Did y'all, right. you do know that, I mean, I- I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. I ain't even going front. Last Sunday, when Dak threw the second interception, I turned the game off and went into the bedroom with my husband and watched the Eagles game. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I can't. I just, I could, my nerves couldn't take it. I was like, you know what? I don't want to break up stuff because you know, I, you know, I, I have to work diligently to maintain my anger sometimes because <laughs> it's hmm. secondary. Emotion. Could that could that anger be originated from an unrealistic expectation? No, because you should. It's not unrealistic to expect your quarterback to not throw interceptions all the time. That is a very realistic expectation. Stop, protect the ball better. That is a realistic expectation, Ronnie. So I didn't, I couldn't, I, but I did good. I didn't tear up my schedule, not one time this season. But but this mm. is what I wanted to say clinically, though. I think that it's really important for folks to understand, and here's where it gets funky. Setting expectations too high can be dangerous because it now puts you in this situation where 
you're trying to control the outcomes and other people. And you said it best, like the whole goal is you want to be able to go to the championship and you want to be able to win, but that can't be forced. And we hear it all the time in football. They talk about the quarterbacks forcing the ball down. If it all this, you know, you're threading the needle, you're taking, you're not seeing the whole thing, all these different things that come out. And it, depending on what sport you're talking about, that can look very different, but you have to create that balance that you talked about. So when we talk about this formula, Mm -hmm. and be kind and loving to me, Ronnie, (laughs) what role do cognitive distortions play Mm. in an athlete setting expectations too high? I think you when we like when we think about like high school athletics. Let's start with high school athletics, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, one of the biggest one of the biggest challenges we see with high school athletes is understanding the business of collegiate sports, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, like I'll use I'll use me an example because I went through this a little bit. So, when I was playing high school football and everything, mm-hmm. my expectation was to go D one, like. D2, D3 didn't exist in my vocabulary. Like, mm-hmm. was not. Like, I never felt that I was a D2 or D3 caliber player. I mm-hmm. always felt myself as a D1 caliber player. Okay. Where did, I, where did I grow this expectation? Well, I grew this expectation because when I would go to football camps against D1 talent, mm-hmm. I, did pretty, I did pretty darn good against D1 talent. Okay. Here's where... Here's where I try to ignore what we meant, not necessarily ignore cognitive distortion, but mm-hmm. where I tried to ignore reality a little bit. Right. Okay. So the position I played in high school football, I played guard and tackle. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, now granted I was six, one, 275, 280 in high school. So by no means the stress of the imagination was I a small person, mm-hmm. you know, to society, I'm a pretty large dude. Like, you know, you six, mm-hmm. one, you above average from, from male height, you 275, 280. Mm-hmm. got some good size to you right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i knew this however when we look at collegiate sports specifically like d1 to be a guard or a tackle at the d1 level mm-hmm. if you are not at least six three we have nothing to talk about mm-hmm. that was the conversation they had with you in maryland right when, when right. you had that you final know, phone call one of the one of the and and that was a a, a very tough pill to accept. Like mm-hmm. my expectation of going D one was stopped because of something that I had no control over. Mm. No matter how much I tried to believe I was a D one athlete, no matter how much I tried mm-hmm. to think I deserved to be a D one athlete, mm-hmm. the reality of the matter is because of the position I played, because of mm-hmm. my height and size, mm-hmm. I did not fit a cookie cutter mold. I didn't mm-hmm. fit the expectation mm-hmm. of a D1 athlete lineman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, did I buck against it? Did I try to ignore it? Absolutely. I would not pay any D2 or D3 schools any mind until it got to a point where no more D1 schools was calling. Mm-hmm. No more D1 schools were sending letters. No more D1 schools were checking for me. I was checking for them, but mm-hmm. I had to readjust my expectations of where I was going to play college football it became unrealistic for me to think that going D one at the position I was playing was going to be an achievable goal. Mm -hmm. And I had, and and so to part of that was I had to be honest with myself. Mm 
And so I told myself, I was like, well, if these people are going to say, because I don't fit this cookie cutter mold that I can't go D1, mm-hmm. well, hell, I'll go D2 and I'll mm-hmm. show you that yeah, I belong yeah. to be at the D1 level. I'll make it obviously clear that me being at the D2 level should mm-hmm. not have never happened. Wow. Okay. You know, how did I? And so how did I do that? Mm-hmm. I began to develop expectations for myself. Mm-hmm. I said, when I go out there, my goal, my goal as a D2 athlete was I was going to be an All-American in D2. Mm-hmm. I was a freshman okay. All-American and I was two-time All-American after that. Okay. Right. Because that was my expectation. Was it unrealistic? No. I mm-hmm. knew based off of actual evidence of going against mm-hmm. D1 talent that I belonged. So whether or not, whether or not it was validated in real time because I didn't play D1. Mm-hmm. I still knew I had D1 talent. And I think a lot of kids, and I and when I coached for two seasons after playing, you know, I would tell kids like, hey, yes, D1 is cool and everything. And, and there are kids who can mm-hmm. reach a level. But after your sophomore season, if, if you mm-hmm. don't have D1 schools at your school talking to you, if you don't have mm-hmm. D1 letters in your mailbox mm-hmm. every single day, you're most likely not going to go D1. And readjusting those expectations can be hard for kids. We know how hard mm-hmm. it is for teenagers to sit yeah. back and take a, and take a bigger perspective than just a tunnel yeah. vision perspective. Yeah. Well, so, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish that thought, and then I'll I'll jump back on it from a clinical perspective. So I think a lot of times when we deal with people who don't want to accept reality, reality mm-hmm. reality isn't always fun. Reality always mm-hmm. isn't kind to us. Reality always isn't mm-hmm. you know nice to us. Mm-hmm. but we have to take reality for what it is. And if I had remained in denial and said, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I can't go D1, I'm not going to play football ever again. Mm-hmm. I would have missed out on so many opportunities because I allowed my cognitive distortions of I'm a D1 right. football player. Right. No, you're not. It's, it's okay. that tunnel vision. Yeah. It, it's, and we've talked about that on other shows, right? How there, there's not this cookie cutter approach to, to athletic performance, right? You, there are times that there have to be modifications. Hence why, you know, you have second string, you have third string and people have to step up and they have to show themselves and you have backup quarterbacks and third string quarterbacks. And, you know, you, you've got your bench coming off the, you've got your second string coming off the bench in basketball and all of these different things, you know, you got your pinch hitter for baseball. You have all of these different elements that, that are instrumental in helping people to make the necessary modifications that they need. And here's the thing. I remember my grandpa used to say, and it sounds really gross, but you know, old people are in their sayings. He used to always say there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So if the end result (laughs) is that you achieve the ultimate goal that you wanted to achieve, but you have to go an alternative route to get there, you still made it. You still, granted, you didn't play D1, but you still shined. And that's something that has just always intrigued me because people get, you get this tunnel vision, tunnel vision, tunnel vision. I want, I want, you know, I got to go D1, I got to go to D1, but they don't look at the the other perspectives that you can go to D2 and Mm. play at a D1 level. And what does that cause you to do? Stand out. Mm -hmm. We know that that athletes get recruited from D2 to go to the league. And oh, by the way, now you're the bright star on the field or on the court or on the baseball diamond because 
you went to D2 and you stood out playing at a D1 level caliber. And that's another door for the, the, the mental health issues to come into play, right? You said it, you know, had you not entertained going to D2, you, I would have never played football again. Possibly you could have felt like a failure. You could have been depressed. You could have had a low sense of self. All of these other psychological issues could have come into play and thank goodness they didn't. So what I wanted to highlight real quick before I, I give you my next question is there's an activity that I do with my, my clients, Ronnie, and it's called a chain breaking activity. And what that chain breaking activity does, it has five steps, one, two, three, four, five, and then five, four, three, two, one. And what it looks like, and, and just walk with me through the process for a quick second. Okay. What it looks at is having athletes or just non-athletic folks look at the current and historical events or experiences that they've had that have caused them pain or evoked fear. So when we look at that through an athletic context, right, mm. an injury, or, mm. um, you know, we're hearing all this chatter, for example, about Lamar Jackson, and is he going to be the franchise quarterback for the Ravens next season, all this stuff, right? So you have these, these pain or fear evoking experiences that step two, cause fear to arise in you. Well, what is the fear? Fear of, of getting cut, fear of losing my starting spot, fear of, of losing my scholarship, fear of, you know, not making it to the league, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Third step, what are the negative feelings that you develop about yourself in response to those, those adverse experiences and those subsequent fears? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth step is, how, and this is where it gets funky and this, and, and I, I keep it 100 with you, you know, I can take the cheap shots, but this is where I believe my QB is showing up. How do those experiences, those fears and the negative things that someone says about themselves inform how they express themselves and how they act. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth step is what is the negative self-talk? If you can see that five, that one, two, three, four, five that I just gave you on a continuum, Ronnie, mm -hmm. at the far end of the scale, down at the zero one range, you have these experiences, these adverse experiences. I'm throwing all these daggone interceptions after coming back from uh, an injury. Mm -hmm. At the other end, you've got negative self-talk. The link of the chain, Ronnie, that connects those two opposite ends are your interpretations of the experience. Right. Your interpretations inform your negative self-talk. Your interpretations might not be accurate, right? So mm -hmm. for example, in your, ex in your situation, if you had said, when Marilyn told you, sorry, son, you're not big enough, you could have internalized that and be like, you know what? I'm just not good enough. I'm never going to college. You hadn't even considered going to an HBCU. So it would have informed how you expressed yourself and how you acted as an athlete because your interpretation was wrong. Right. You not getting a full scholarship to Maryland didn't make you not worthy of an athletic scholarship. It didn't right. make you a less than stellar athlete. It just meant that you were supposed to be a stellar athlete at D2. But people, these emotions come up from these cognitive discorded interpretations of their mm -hmm. situations and circumstances. And now you've got a cow chain. You, you've got all of this crap that's swirling around that's binding you up mm 
so that you can't perform athletically at your best because you're in this self-fulfilling prophecy of defeat. The way you cut that chain is you have to address your interpretations of the experiences. You have to. And that goes to what you and I were talking about before the show when we said athletes have got to learn the connection between their thoughts, feelings, and their behaviors. We have to make sure, and I know there are a lot of teams that do this, but we can clearly see that there's a lot of this that's not happening too across the sports world. We got to train athletes in the development of more realistic and adaptive cognitive messages because what you are saying to yourself about your athletic performance, if it's distorted, is sending you down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. If it's accurate, it has the ability to better inform your athletic performance. What's your quick thought on that, Ron? I know it's had a mouthful. Oh, you one of one of the one of the first thing I thought of when we think, you know, when you were talking about Dak and stuff like that. I think the one thing that really separates, you know, when we think about expectations between like, you know, collegiate and professional athletes is the money. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about like somebody like Dak for versus example, a contract. And, and yeah, and, and Lamar and Lamar's going through this right now as well. Like mm-hmm. it seems like the expectations that the Ravens have of Lamar. Mm-hmm. are almost unrealistic to what mm-hmm. other quarterbacks' expectations are of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Lamar won an MVP in year two, won a playoff game in year two, Women has gone to the playoffs every year, but I think it, mm-hmm. every year except for one year, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. quarterbacks, most new quarterbacks nowadays get a brand new contract after year three. Mm-hmm. Lamar has played all five seasons, mm-hmm. and the Ravens are looking at him like, now you ain't done enough. Right. It's like, what more I got to do? What were were your expectations of the last pick of the first round? Somebody Mm -hmm. who that entire offseason and combine said he should be a wide receiver instead of a quarterback Mm -hmm. comes in, wins the league MVP, not team Mm -hmm. MVP, not conference Mm -hmm. MVP, the league MVP Mm -hmm. in year two, won a playoff Mm -hmm. game in year two. Mm -hmm. And the Ravens are like, Nah, bro, we can't give you this money. We, right. we need more. We don't know right. what more is. We can't tell you how to get more, but we just need more from you. And then you have somebody like Dak who, you know, once again, I like Dak. Mm-hmm. I have no issue with Dak. Mm-hmm. But he plays for a team who is ran by an owner who mm-hmm. has unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm not even trying to be laughing and joking right now. Yeah, but yeah. when you ain't won a road playoff game in 30 years, Mm-hmm. You have to have you. Yes, is the Super Bowl everybody's expectation in the league? Yeah, but I mm-hmm. promise you, the Lions are not walking around their locker room day in and day out talking about, yeah, we're gonna win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If we can have a winning season, we've met expectations. If we mm-hmm. can make the playoffs, we have exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. But if I sit there and say our goal is a Super Bowl, we have an unrealistic expectation of what our team mm-hmm. is based off our history mm-hmm. and what we have currently. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing when you think about professional athletes is when they get this large, like Dak gets 40 million a year now, right? Mm-hmm. I can Somewhere assure you, the moment he signed that contract, Jerry Jones' entire demeanor towards him has been different because it's like, bro, I'm giving you 40 million a year mm-hmm. to, throw a football to our team, mm-hmm. not the other team. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not paying you X amount of millions per game mm-hmm. to throw an interception to the other team mm-hmm. because now you're not meeting my expectations. Mm-hmm. And so what we see is a lot of times, to your point, when players start to feel those expectations rise based off the money they get, mm-hmm. for some people, the money doesn't bother them. But how many mm-hmm. times have we seen athletes get paid and the moment they get paid, they can mm-hmm. no longer live up to those expectations? The curse of the contract. Yeah, it, it's it, it, it does impact. And I think in that, that's why it's so important for folks to understand. It's, it's the, and you, you say it, you say it almost every single solitary show when we're talking about performance, how, how critical this word balance is, because you, you have to have that balance. You can't set your expectations so high that folks are like, seriously, for real, that's what you think is going to happen. And the flip side of that point is you can't set the expectations so well, low, because if you go in expecting the worst, it's a recipe for getting worse. Like you, right. you expecting bad athletic performance and, and, you know, having these, all these mistakes in the, the midst of competitive play, it ends up, as we see, it ends up becoming the self-fulfilling prophecy. We could say the same thing with Russell Wilson. It's like, dude, what are you doing? It, right. But I believe it's, I believe a big part of it is mental. So you, you have to, be able to understand this dichotomy between high expectations, low expectations, and what that balance looks like. And I just, there were a couple of things I wanted to know too, because there were a couple of other athletes that, that have gone through it. Um, the, this mentality that mm. puts them on this slippery slope. And I, and I, I talk all the time now because I could not stand RG3 when he was the QB for Washington. I couldn't stand him. And, I, and my cousin couldn't stand him either. She's a diehard Washington fan. And I was telling her how he seems to have found his place in commentating, right? He was on ESPN. Right. He was doing HBCU games. He was doing other collegiate games. And now he's doing NFL. And he's he's different. He's he different. Track. I, I don't do that. He's different. You know, we saw it back. Um, I remember back in, in 2015 when Serena Williams suffered a semifinal defeat in the U.S. Open. And it's there's so much pressure that these athletes put on themselves. The, the, the fear of failure, the how devastated fans and like. It's like you all are in this pressure cooker all the time. And that was the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you on that. We got only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, Ronnie, you've talked often over these, these years that we've been working together about how your dad was when it came to your athletic play, right? <laughs> what role do parents and fans play in the pressure that athletes put on themselves to set performance expectations in the first place? Well, so I think, I think it, hmm, how can I explain this? Like one of, one of my biggest motivating factors to perform week in and week out was I did not want to disappoint my parents, mm-hmm. you know, like my parents, you know, would budget, 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 budget. I hate mm-hmm. the word budget. Cause I heard it so much growing up. Like, mm-hmm. like they would, I mean, camps, football camps were not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, for example, when I used to go to the University of Maryland football camp, it was a week long. It was five days long. You stayed on mm-hmm. campus. You got to like it, it was it was a lit camp. 
And, Mm -hmm. but it was a thousand dollars. You know, my parents were not the people who just had a thousand dollars lying around. So, you know, I knew that, you know, now granted, you know, there's no kid, it should be no kid's responsibility to keep up with their parents' financial records and whatnot. However, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the things I recognized early was, is that my parents are making a sacrifice and an investment in me. Now -hmm. they have no idea what this investment is going to lead into, Mm -hmm. right? I'm pretty sure if you would ask my parents, did they think I was going to go to college and play football and, and be as successful as I was in football? They'll probably tell mm-hmm. you, hell no. Nah. Like, mm-hmm. cause it was just like, he just loved football. So we wanted to make sure he got as much football as he did. But for me, mm-hmm. the way I saw it was, is that my parents have made this investment in me into my athletic career. Mm-hmm. How dare I, you know, waste that. Mm-hmm. So the the pressure and expectations I used to put on myself to make sure that when my parents sat in the stands and another family would have asked them, well, well who's your kid? Oh, number yeah. 79 on the field, not mm-hmm. number 79 over there on the sidelines, not number mm-hmm. 79 over there on the bench, but number mm-hmm. 79 on the field. Because mm-hmm. if I could meet that expectation, mm-hmm. I knew everything else was going to fall in the line. Mm. And that carried me even through college. Like even when I was in college, I never wanted my parents to come to a college game and see me on the bench or mm-hmm. see me, you know, rotting away on the sidelines. Like mm-hmm. you all made sure I got here. You all made the investment and made the sacrifices to make sure I got here. That type of pressure. Now, for some people, sometimes that pressure can be too much. Mm-hmm. But for me, and so and here's what and this is why I said earlier, like when you have expectations, you have to have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was set at the, we would do, inter, we would do, uh, we had to fill out this sheet at the beginning of every season of what our, you know, team goals was and what our personal goals were, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And my personal goals was the same every year. I want to be all conference. I want to be all American. And mm-hmm. I wanted to win the Remington Trophy in college, which was the nation's best center, right? Nice. You know, those are my goals. Well, okay. Goals with no objectives is what? Just something you write down on a piece of paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I knew I had to work. And I think a lot of times people, when you have expectations, it comes with work. It comes with mm-hmm. discipline. It comes with consistency. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to have high expectations based off of just off of luck or off of being right. flu all the time here and there. No, real expectations. And then and another thing I think too, you know, one thing, and I, I hear professional athletes say this all the time. There is no pressure in sports. Obviously, you know, during a game, is there pressure? Yeah, like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the pressure of the game and stuff like that. But when you put it in perspective to the real world, mm-hmm. bro, this isn't pressure. It's either you rise to the occasion or you don't. Mm-hmm. Pressure is a family having to put food on the table for their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pressure is you as an adult making sure your bills are paid every month. Mm-hmm. Pressure is making sure you have a house that you can put a roof over your kid's head. That's pressure. Mm-hmm. Me making sure I snap this ball and block this person at the same time, that's not pressure. That's my expectation. That's my job. I practice this. And if I'm not good enough, then I'm not good enough. But I better not sit there and and sit there and have a level of entitlement that just because Mm -hmm. I do this, this should happen. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people people develop a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And so when they make expectation for themselves because they feel entitled to get something because of, of, of whatever reason, uh-huh. They don't understand that just because you set this expectation for yourself and you think it's going to happen doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah. Terrell Owens said um, at one point during his career when he was still playing, he said, if you align expectations with reality, 
you will never be disappointed. Right. And there's something to that, right? Like that that's a, a powerful, powerful statement. And I think that so oftentimes people get so caught up in, in the hype of everything that they get disconnected from the reality of it. And, and that circles back to what you said about balance. The last thing that I wanted to, to touch on real quick, um, just to, to wrap us up, is the connection between stress and setting expectations too high. You kept talking about it, pressure, 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 pressure. And I think that it's really important for folks to understand that a big part of being able to set realistic expectations, achievable expectations, and the, the goals that you've heard Ronnie talking about repeatedly throughout today's show that are going to be instrumental in helping you to strike that balance is you have to learn how to manage the stress associated with how you're going about setting your expectations, right? If your stress level is on 500, then you're going to put all this extra pressure on yourself to set these expectations. And it more than likely is going to result in you setting expectations way, way, way too high. Are you mm -hmm. over in this place and space of perfectionism and, and the whole nine yards? So you and Ronnie, you said it right. It's like this understanding these short term goals. You have to set the short term goals that are going to be instrumental in helping you to achieve that greater goal, which is going it, to it's almost like the goal continuum and the expectation continuum run in tandem. And mm -hmm. as your as your goals, as you achieve your smaller goals and move up that continuum, now you're better equipped to move your expectations higher and develop some equilibrium between how they're operating in tandem so -hmm. that you're not setting yourself up for failure and, and all these psychological issues that come as a result. So Can then I ask that real quick? Oh, please, go ahead, go ahead. And, and this, this, this I, want, I wanted to leave off for me, at least with this. Mm-hmm. No athlete, and, and this is whether it's athletics or in real in the real world, mm -hmm. nobody should ever have higher expectations than you your than you yourself. Mm. I never had one coach place expectations on me that I never placed on myself beforehand. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know because what happens is is when we rely on others to set our expectations, mm -hmm. just it's no different than love, no different than happiness. Mm -hmm. If I expect somebody else to love me in a way I can't love myself, mm -hmm. I'll never receive it. People if I expect be living vicariously to, through you. Right. If I expect mm -hmm. somebody to be to make me happy and I can't make myself happy, right? I'm doing it wrong. If yeah. a coach has goals for me that I don't have for myself, if a coach mm -hmm. has expectations for me that I don't have for myself, Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to live up to it. Wow. A coach should not mm -hmm. be able to critique you more than you critique yourself. A coach should not be able to place expectations or pressures on you that you already haven't placed on yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's whether it's in sports or life. Well, that's good. If, if I could, to, to elaborate on my interpretation of what you said, is that as an athlete, you don't ever want to be in a situation where people want more for you than you want for yourself, where you're at. You start to, if you start to believe that, you mm -hmm. like you said, you'll start doing things and chasing things that will not mm -hmm. get there. Mm -hmm. And your heart you, won't be in at it. that point. Your validation is coming from externally, not internally. Mm. Your heart has to be in it for you. And yeah, you, you want other people to be pleased and all of that. But at the end of the day, if 
all of your, if you're looking for external validation by your performance, then your motivation is all wrong. You, right. It's like what other people say and whether that they applaud you and celebrate you and all that, that's secondary and tertiary. Your first commitment should be, at least this is what I'm hearing you say, your first commitment should be that you want to be the best possible athlete that you can be for you first, right. not for everybody else. Everybody else right. is secondary and tertiary. You need to be doing it for yourself first. And then the team, your family, your friends, the fans, and everybody else benefits from that. Yeah. Right. There's not a coach, there's not a coach that I've had in my playing career that can sit there and look at me and say, Oh yeah, man, I thought you was gonna be better than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know how good I was. I don't need I don't right. need a, a player, coach, ref, mm-hmm. nobody to tell me how my career was. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when you allow other people to set your expectations for you, mm-hmm. you're gonna fall short every time and you're gonna be frustrated. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be pissed off. You're gonna be feeling like you can't achieve nothing because other people are setting expectations for you. You're allowing other people to tell you how good you can and can't be. Imagine if Lamar Jackson would have believed that people thought the only thing you can be is a wide receiver in the NFL and he allowed them to set that expectation for him. Right. Right. No, that's real. That's absolutely positively real. It's um when I think of, of something else too, and I comment all the time, cause it's just so funny to me is Devante Turpin. He's a tiny little thing. Mm, He's a tiny oh, yeah. little thing. Um, the, the, uh, what's the name? Uh, Kyler Murray. The, the, the QB for the Arizona Cardinals. He's the, he is small, and it's yeah. like I'm sure somebody told him. It reminds me when we were in high school. Our quarterback's name was a guy by the name of Troy Dublin, and we used to always have to be like, y'all know Troy cannot see over the line. <laughs> he cannot see over the line, but he 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 was throwing missiles though. The boy was bad to the bone, and he didn't. There were plenty of people that were like, oh, you're never gonna be a quarterback. You're too short. You this. You that. You third. And he was like, um, what, look, <laughs> in, in in Bill Bellamy fashion, watch. <laughs> <laughs> watch and, nice. and it happened so this is what i want to close this out with folks i, I just want to make this quick connection between expectations um and and athletic performance i think that it's really important for folks to know that a big part of what's going to help athletes to set realistic expectations for themselves is they have to learn how to manage the stress associated <laughs> with setting those expectations and in that it's gonna be really important to learn how to conceptualize stress and its management Mm -hmm. cognitively, emotionally, physiologically, and behaviorally. You you have to know how the the pressure that you're putting on yourself and setting these expectations is affecting your thought life. How is it affecting your emotions? Are, Are your expectations emotionally driven? You know, what does it look like on the inside of your body? How's your body responding to all this pressure that you're putting on yourself? And then again, how is it influencing how you actually act, how you actually perform? You need to be mindful of that. The other thing is it's 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 mind over matter. And Ronnie says it literally every single solitary show. If your head is not right, your performance is not going to be right. And you have to learn how to tailor your thought life that generates the most productive, your peak performance. Because if your head's not right, your performance is not going to be right. And then Mm -hmm. the last thing is actually practice, you know, learn Mm -hmm. skills to help you to increasingly perform at a higher level 
in challenging stressful situations. It's like do do um, simulated experiences, right? We do all, all types of stuff goes on at practice, but you need to be able to have that simulation so that you can better prepare for those stressful situations. And then, you know, the people that are connected to you, they should be reinforcing your success. They should be reinforcing your progress. They should be instrumental um, in helping you to problem solve this. And, and you'll be able to get there. You will, you will see yourself achieve levels of performance that perhaps you hadn't previously reached. Final thought, Ronnie? I think, you know, when, once again, like I said, when we think about expectations, you as the athlete and you as a person individually should never have expectations that, you know, somebody sets for you. I think mm -hmm. with, no matter what it is, you know, whether it's your first year playing, whether you're a collegiate athlete, professional athlete, one, mm -hmm. you have to be real with yourself and set smart goals. Mm -hmm. I always tell people set, you know, specific, measurable, obtainable goals mm -hmm. because, you know, when you set the bar so high and you, I think the one thing with goals and I, and I saw an athlete talk about this, you know, goals and objectives, you know, a lot of times we set goals, but a goal is kind of like a finite thing. It's either you do it or you don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And so as an athlete, when we set goals, like once again, if you don't win the Super Bowl or, the, or a national championship or state title, mm -hmm. or whatever, and that's your goal as a team and you don't hit that, you'll feel like, well, we just wasted an entire season, but objectives are important too. So to mm -hmm. all my athletes out there, when you set your expectations, your expectations should come with goals and objectives. Yeah. How, it's one thing to have high expectations for yourself, but how are you realistically going to do that? Yeah. If your goal is to be an All-American in, in, in college, what does that look like? Well, if you're if you're a defensive end, probably getting 10 sacks in the season, you know, that's a good start. You know, if you're a quarterback, probably throwing for 30 touchdowns, that's a great start you know, but have realistic goals. Do not set yourself up to allow somebody else to set your expectations for you because you will fall short every single time. Yeah. That's all I have. Who's your picks for today's games, Ronnie? I was just looking. I know um, the first game is what, Seattle? Yeah, I got the 49ers and I got the Jaguars. I, 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 yeah. I like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence reminds me of uh, Sunshine from uh, Remember the Titans. Yeah. So you, he does. he does, he does. I hadn't thought about that, but he does. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going with the 49ers, and I'm going with the Jaguars. I, I, I didn't think the Jaguars would make the playoffs this year, but they really had a phenomenal end of the season. They got a squad mm -hmm. on them too. Yeah, they got yeah. a really nice squad. I know. So look, I know. Um, I know your husband probably, you know, doesn't like the fact that their former uh, Super Bowl winning coach is down there, you know, right. giving them all the secrets and everything. So, you know, right. um, you might what well, you would that Philly special. We might see a, a Jacksonville special uh, this playoff. So, you know, right. I don't know. Right. But um, who you got? Same. You know, I do not. But I mean, good ball is good ball. And they're playing good, clean football. And he's he's coming into his own. And when you think about it, he played horribly last year. But he's right. sure enough shining like a bright star this year. So it's going to be real interesting. I'm really looking forward to the 49ers Seahawks game because Geno Smith is 10 years in the making. You talk about expectations, yeah. 10 years in the making. But Geno is balling. I would love, if for nothing else, just because he has just made just so much 
beautiful progress. I would love to see the Seahawks beat the 49ers and get the upset. I don't think it's going to happen, but it sure would be nice to see. And then I could call my daddy and say, Daddy, you okay? I got, right. I got, four, I got 49ers by at least uh, a touchdown. Yeah. I think the Jaguars and Chargers will come down to a last-second field goal. I think that's going to be a really good game. Yeah. Um, but the Chargers just lost their star wide receiver to a uh, – he has a fractured bone in his back. Um, Ooh. Yeah, wow. so that uh, definitely that's is not good news from them. Um, and then, you know, I got the Bills watching the Dolphins because two is not playing. I got yeah. the Giants beating the Vikings. I think if the Giants – You think they're going to – it's funny because I was thinking – I said, I think they're going to upset them. I think Kirk Cousins is, is. I don't. I don't trust Kirk. And I, and I think if you can stop Justin Jefferson, you stop the Vikings. Yeah. So be, we've seen the last two teams, the last two weeks, have stopped yep. Justin Jefferson, and yep. they have fallen That's off the, the cliff. Yep. I got the I got the Bengals obviously beating the Ravens because um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm Team Lamar. Um, mm-hmm. The Ravens are tripping, so I'm Team Lamar. So I hope the Bengals mm-hmm. win. I'm mm-hmm. not even gonna talk about the last game because. Bye, Ronnie. Y'all have a wonderful Saturday. Enjoy this wild card weekend. Y'all take care. We'll see y'all next week. Next. I find it funny how your camera all of a sudden is working now. Isn't it beautiful? Bye, Ronnie. Love you. See you. Y'all have a great weekend. Bye, everybody.